I just uh, I just got done trying out Windows 10 for a few days, and uh, I honestly wasn't that impressed over, say, Windows 7. So, Popey, you think it's the best, but what would you say draws you to it over, say, if you just needed a, a you know a simple Windows install to do something, to get something done, why not just use Windows 7? Well, you could, and like my, there was nothing technically wrong with my Windows 7 install. I mean, it was basically my Steam machine and anything else that was Windows only that I don't you know, that, that I have, that I want to try out or I want to play with. Um, but I quite like the cleanness of Windows 10. It just feels more polished. Mm. It just feels like, you know how Windows 7 was Windows Vista done right? Windows 10 feels like Windows 7 with just a little bit of extra polish. I mean, Windows 7 was fine on its own. Yeah, I don't, but I don't 10 know just feels I, a little bit nicer. Yeah, I guess I just, I just, I guess I just disagree with you. Because um, I don't, big, I mean, it does, in, it does at the very, at the very high level. The way the start menu slides up, the way the desktop, virtual desktop slide, the way the windows pop open, you know, kind of feels like uh, the best of comp is a little bit just sort of turned down a slight touch. Um, And I like those things about it. But I find to be, uh, what I find to be just sort of disappointing is sort of the settings within settings and just settings and settings, different kinds of UIs for your settings. There's there's a really good blog post, actually, that uh, really summed it up very well. And so I bookmarked it because the guy went through and he essentially booked, he, he screenshotted basically every spot where Windows 10, he says, is unfinished. And I think it's a pretty compelling argument. Like he goes through here and documents like, here's two sections that are identical in the UI that accomplish the same task. Here's like two display settings. They look completely different in how they function, but they do the same task. And he, he points this out over and over again. Here's where a right-click menu is weird and dark and gray. And here's where a right-click menu looks like a traditional Windows menu. And all these different inconsistencies in the icons, even in the toolbars where they use different where they use different languages in the icons for, to mean different things throughout the entire UI, it's not consistent at all. I think it's much less consistent than Windows Seven because it's mixed with this modern UI now. Exactly, I, and uh, I've heard Microsoft in their official things. Microsoft has said that Windows Ten will never be done. Yeah, I could have yeah. told you that months ago when I tried the nine uh, the ninety nine hundred series yeah. technical preview. I saw that right away. I'm like, wow! And it's still not fixed. To me, Windows ten is a beta. Well, and, and I believe and it always will be. We have gotten yeah, feedback it's a rolling about release. that. Yeah, uh, no, you know, it's, it's not. Come, so... have we all really? We've all bought into this. We've all bought into yeah, this. Yeah, most of the chat. Totally. Am, I, am I really at JB on on IRC? Because like people talk about Windows ten like it's the best thing ever. Like, I think what the frick? I think what you guys are saying is they rushed it to market and they're using vernacular that's hip to justify why it's an incomplete product. I think that would be accurate, and also I think the whole free upgrade thing is like really like hook, line, and sink people into Windows their, their market. I mean, I paid two hundred ninety nine dollars. Okay. So I could unlock the features. Oh my god! Well, I mean, JB did. I didn't. Wow. Person- I didn't personally pay for it. I know, it. but even so, that's a lot of money. Exactly, and I feel like I bought an unfinished product. But to be, you know what? To be honest with you, to do a fully genuine, honest review of the product, I bought it because I don't have like I have I have OEM licenses from the past that I don't I don't have that hardware anymore, and those those machines run Linux anyways. So, like, my best option was to install it from the ISO. I downloaded it from Microsoft's website, and then I had to activate it to get all the features. That cost $299, and I figured, well, at least now I'll own one copy of Windows 10 for testing. But in my opinion, this, this, this line that I've been getting from the community after our episode, 
that Microsoft's going to roll out new features in October, and this is a rolling release, and Windows 10 is the final version. It's never done. Sorry, did you say community? <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, We've been getting Microsoft fe- community. No, no, no. In, in, no, in the, the last community. In the last community, after uh, we, okay. we reviewed Windows 10 on Sunday, and people said, well, it's not fair. It's not done until October. And I can't believe we have bought this line. Because this is – see, you guys – Maybe maybe I have a different perspective because I've literally had Microsoft family members and friends that I've been been close to my entire life. I've watched this company. I mean, I, I live next to Microsoft. I've watched this company forever. This is what they do every single time. It's the same kind of basic message, just different language every single time. And this time we're buying it. We didn't buy it last time because they they didn't use the right words. This time we're buying it. And that's yeah, all. If you just right. if you just change what they're saying and look at the look at the ship product that costs two hundred ninety nine dollars, I think it doesn't hold up. I exactly, think you're and right about it's the same stuff again because the the article that points out the consistencies in the Windows ten UI that's nothing new. IBM were pointing out inconsistencies in the Windows user interface <laughs> when they were marketing OS2 against Windows <laughs> yes, yes. and pointing out that, you know, OS2 was a consistent <laughs> object-based desktop environment and everything behaved the same way in every spot and Windows didn't do that. And, and was it Windows NT? Windows NT and the service packs you know, that was the original Windows rolling release, wasn't it? Every service pack delivered new features, and it took an awful long time for us to get off service pack 3 to service pack 4A when just a whole ton of stuff arrived, including, you know, new browsers and things. Right. So this is is nothing new. It's it's shinier, but it's new, and it came out yesterday or whenever it was, but... It's the same. It's the same tactics. But I still actually say it's new language. I think in a lot of ways, Windows Seven is still a better product. I just think that Windows Ten is probably the best you're going to get with modern support. And really, at the end of the day, because we're talking Windows for Linux users, one of the things that matters with Windows Ten is it's going to support the latest version of DirectX, and that's one of the mo- most likely reasons a Linux user would be running Windows. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 104 for August 4th, 2015. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that ponders if a Linux-powered tent is a good idea or a great idea. My name is Chris and... Yeah, I've got camping on the brain. We've got a great episode 104. I can't even believe that we crossed over the 100 mark and just kept on chugging because we've so much to cover. A little Ubuntu heavy at the top of the show, but it's going to be worth it. There's some really interesting things being clarified by Ubuntu, some big changes that uh, I'm looking forward to, and maybe some speculation on my part, and hopefully we'll set the record straight on a few things. There's a new roadmap for the Ubuntu projects. Well, going over the next few years, it gives us a lot of insights. They're sharing a lot of good information. And then there's also been some discussion on the development list if maybe it's time for Ubuntu to drop the drop the software center in favor of GNOME software. And actually, the reaction to that's been kind of negative. We'll talk about that. And then, later on in the show, the numbers are in, and it looks bad for Linux gaming. Let's just hypothesize. Is the dream failed? Is Linux gaming just not materializing? And then also, some some of the latest games, some really great games that came out, and the benchmarks are in, 
and the performance is devastating under Linux compared to Windows, like 60 to 70% worse under Linux. Why is that? We'll talk about that and what that means and if it's bad news for SteamOS. But we also have some good news. I found in the archive a lost interview from Self 2015 with the guys who made the internet possible itself. And it is so information-packed about deploying good Wi-Fi, troubleshooting Wi-Fi, and what it takes to make wireless work. You could apply it to your house or to a major event. It is a segment in this show that I think people refer back to over and over again when they are visiting or troubleshooting a Wi-Fi network. I can't wait to play that for you. That's coming up later on in the show as well. So talk about that. And then if there's time, we're going to make a major, major experiment run this Friday on the Linux Action Show. We're going to make a huge change to the show. Hopefully, in an attempt to be more genuine and honor the show, and the fact that it covers Linux and open source, but also to raise the quality and make it even better. And we're going to try something extremely new, and we're going to be doing it live on Friday instead of Sunday. And I want to brace you for it, maybe just try to bend off some of the immediate reaction that might happen, because it's going to be a big change. And uh, I don't often talk about the show in the show, but uh, I'm going to do that at the end of today's episode of Linux Unplugged, if we have time. And... uh, I don't know exactly how much I'm going to share yet because I'm a little nervous, but uh, you know what? I'll just, uh, I have a beer here. I'll just, uh, I'll just keep drinking. I'm about, I'm about uh, about halfway through. We'll see if by the end of that bottle, if I feel like sharing anymore. But first I want to bring in Mr. Popey who can help me dig through some of these, uh, well, basically clarification that have been posted on uh, Ollie's uh, blog. He calls it his Ollie's random thoughts and impressions. And Popey, can you tell me so that way I don't get it wrong? Who is Ollie and what does he do uh, at Canonical? Uh, he's a VP of engineering, so he runs basically the whole show for everything that's user visible at the moment for the most part. Okay. And he points out, uh, he's, he made this post on uh, August 3rd that, uh, well, there's only 242 days left until the next long-term release of Ubuntu, Ubuntu 16.04. And so it's probably time to clarify a few things. So remember, we've talked about Snappy <clears throat> on the show. Uh, Snappy is an adjective describing a collection of technologies that allows for transactional atomic updates, rollback, and better security guarantees for apps and users. So remember, it is a transactional updated system, so the applications and the OS can be updated separately, and you can roll back. And you're going to have Snappy Core, which things can be built around. But there's a new term being kicked around that I wanted to make sure we all understand here on this show, because I think it's going to have the largest impact for our audience. It's Ubuntu Personal. Snappy plus Ubuntu. Ubuntu personal. Snappy Ubuntu is the logical consequence of all the things said so far, except that it has the most beautiful user interface sitting on top of it. However, Ubuntu personal will be snap-based from the start, and hence the distinction. Snappy Ubuntu personal is redundant, and we're simply calling it Ubuntu personal. Ubuntu personal will provide all the benefits of snappy apps to users of devices with built-in and attached displays. Considering that Snappy systems were born out of our experience with mobile devices, Ubuntu Personal is the next evolution of phone code based on our path to reach code convergence. Now, I don't know exactly how to interpret that, Popey, but it almost sounds like Ubuntu Personal could be something that somebody who wanted to follow, like, Unity 8 and Mir and maybe even try it on a laptop would maybe be interested in Ubuntu Personal. Or is it just something for mobile devices? What exactly is it? Yeah, so, like, longer term... You could think of buying a device that has Snappy on it, and that could be a router or a, um, a, a an autonomous device, like a, a flying thing, or you know, it could be a fridge or anything. But Snappy 
uh, Ubuntu Personal is more about the desktop user experience. So that's like uh, laptops, desktops, um, like Chromecast style devices, things that have a graphical user interface are more likely to be Ubuntu Personal. So they're um, machines that a normal user would interact with like directly. Does that include a laptop? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it's everything from a it's everything from a tiny device that might have a UI on it up to a fairly per- powerful personal computer. So like envisage like distantly in the future everything running snappy, but the ones that you sit at and type at and touch and swipe and you know use a mouse with those might be running Ubuntu personal, but the ones which don't have a display, which are embedded IoT things, routers, flying things, would just be snappy Ubuntu core. And you interact with those differently. That, that That's the kind of distinction between the two. So also that kind of – also uh, Ubuntu personal kind of replaces desktop next, which was sort of the – the way to currently try out uh, Mir in right. Unity, right? So, yeah, Desktop Next was a was a kind of image that that you could play with that was never really designed to be a production desktop. And the goal with Ubuntu Personal is that that will be the production desktop. It's the next evolution of of Desktop Next. Yeah. And now, keeping in mind that the actual Debian based Ubuntu distribution isn't going away, this still seems like a gin- ginormous, mind bending, completely game changing evolution for the project basically you're going you're i mean your your star products are going to be snap based they're not going to be deb based they're not it's it is it is an entirely new creation that you guys it depends on your perspective really you know when you when you think of star product you know some people will think well from my perspective a star product is something i can install debs on and i can go and randomly build you know code on today yeah yeah yeah, for the next few years in the future it it could well be the case in the future you know Uh you you still want to be able to go and get uh, a random deb off the internet of you know your favorite app whatever it might be and install it and away you go whereas other people will say my star machine is the thing where i open the lid and it works every time when i open the lid and it updates itself in the background and i don't have to worry about ppas or debs or you know sudo or all that kind of stuff it just works right so for some people that is their their star platform and to that me, will be ubuntu to me personal. what it sounds like is it sounds like uh, ubuntu debian base is uh, is a transition platform for those people who have base products around it or have environments around it and so because of that it'll be around for many years but really, I think if if transactional based systems take off, which I can't, I can't imagine they wouldn't on the server, especially with with uh, people trying to deploy applications who are not necessarily the best at understanding how systems work, I, I got to imagine that a transactionally based container based system is going to really go big, and a lot of people will switch. And it also makes a ton of sense on the desktop. It makes delivering desktop applications so much simpler on desktop Linux. Uh, I mean, I see here, so I'm looking at this timeline you guys have posted, and uh, you can see where Desktop Next comes to an end, and where Ubuntu Personal kind of becomes a thing, especially around 16.10, where maybe like there's actually something people could try. Uh, and really, the, I mean, the distro that everyone's going to be want to use, uh, even next year, you run 16.10 time and, and so forth, is going to be the dev-based version. But you go out a few more years, if, if people are really starting to contribute to the Snap Store, and a lot of people are building app and delivering applications in, in Snaps, or whatever the hell they're called, you know, DigitalOcean has a has a droplet you can fire up based on Ubuntu Snappy Core. I'm sure they'll do that. Um, it's going to go big, I would think. 
well, yeah, and there'll be a, a, a certainly a period of time where both things are running in parallel, and one yes, yeah. Ubuntu personal may take off and become like the you know the Chromebook style OS that that just works, and you you, know, you don't have to worry about debs and PPAs mm-hmm. and all that kind of I stuff. I just love it, like in but, a production environment, Popey, like in a studio. I love the idea of a transactionally based system because if if right. you know if I go to do a show and it's, it's not working, I can roll back. That's a lifesaver. It certainly has like use cases that um, people outside your listenership might be interested in. Like, you know, my mum would not really care about PPAs and Debs and, <laughs> and and release upgrades every six months and that kind of stuff. She just wants to work and carry on working every day. And but there are people out there who are engineers or developers who want the flexibility to be able to get under the hood and tweak around with it. And while you can do that with Ubuntu Personal, obviously, yeah. then you know, if 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 your level of tweaking means building Debs and delivering software as Debs and you know hacking in a way that Personal maybe isn't appropriate for, then the Debian-based distro is still there and will continue to be there. And that and that's one of the key things to take away. Actually, is we keep getting you know this was this blog post was partly to clear up a lot of misconception in the community. People keep saying, oh well, you know they're going to switch to clicks, they're going to switch to snaps, and the Debian desktop will disappear. Well, no, it's not. The whole point of this is. The archive is what everything is built from. So we can't take away that archive right. because right. it's all built from that. And yeah. and that that is our special source, is the archive. The way Ollie put it, he says, the underlying center of gravity for everything I've described so far, however, is Ubuntu, which is bigger than any single technology or product or code base. Ubuntu, the Linux distribution, as we all know and love it, will continue to be there on the Internet, freely available to anyone and everyone. Exactly. So yeah, because it, it, it's all because Snappy and all that is based on that, and it's just it's interesting, and I'm looking forward to maybe one day sitting here and having my machine that's displaying visuals on the stream be powered by Ubuntu Snappy. It, I think it's going to be from from a show content and review and like uh, you know just digging into stuff and talking about it standpoint, super interesting and fascinating. Can't wait, cannot wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's at least if nothing else, fascinating to watch it. Who knows where it goes. Who knows? My bet's all on Plasma Mobile. <laughs> all right. So before we get into uh, what our last Ubuntu thing, uh, just to kind of uh, wrap up our conversation, and I, I'm actually, it's great also because it just kind of fits in nicely with our conversation we had with Wimpy last week. So I want to talk about that uh, in, in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about DigitalOcean, the first sponsor of Linux Unplugged. And if you actually want to support the Linux Unplugged program, I got a, I got a secret. Well, it's a secret, like, it's the kind of secret I'd like you to tell every single person you know. Do you have secrets like that? Yeah, well, I'm not going to go there. We can get dirty quick. But use the promo code DO1PLUGGED, and you get a $10 credit over DigitalOcean. And spread it around, like HSV1. Just spread it around, and let everybody have some of it. DO1PLUGGED over DigitalOcean.com. Whoa, 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 you don't know? You don't know what DigitalOcean is? Oh, let me tell you about DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to get your own rig up in the cloud. Now, they got free BSD machines. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, maybe you want to use free BSD. It's pretty cool. But they have, like, CoreOS. You want to talk about, boy, talk about something. Talk about Talking about, talking about something Snappy's trying to rip off. Oh, I'm just kidding. No, it's cool. Core OS, you know, you have the rolling base OS on DigitalOcean because they're bosses. They work directly upstream with the Core OS team. So you get you get great core-based OSs, and then the applications are containerized, which is slick. Of course, they've also got Ubuntu LTS, and they got several versions of Ubuntu up there. They got Fedora. They got Debian. They even 
now have Fedora 22. How about that? Not bad. Now, this is the best part. You can get started in less than 55 seconds, and you got that promo code DO unplugged. You, 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 you don't even have to worry about the cost. So just go over there and get started, because now your time, what, you don't got 55 seconds, give me a break, and check this out, $5 a month. Well, DO Unplugged is going to give you a $10 credit. For $10, you're going to be able to run a rig for two months. Now check out this $5 rig, you get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSDs, they're all SSDs, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. <laughs> and DigitalOcean is data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and a big old bad boy in Germany. But their interface is what I love about them. I've been in IT for years. Well, I had been until I got into podcasting because, man, I had to get out of IT. And you know one of the reasons I had to get out of IT? I'm looking at you, VMware ESX, running your whole entire infrastructure on Linux and forcing me to use a Windows client. I will never get over that. I will never, I will never forgive you. And how complicated it is in all of these different... Even you, Proxmox, I'm looking at you. Even you, Proxmox, you're way too complicated. All you guys with virtualizations, you're making it way too complicated. You need to go over to DigitalOcean.com. I'm talking to you, Proxmox. Guys, I love you. I love you. But your web UI, you need to go over to DigitalOcean, okay? VMware, you need to go over to DigitalOcean, all right? Okay? Everybody, go over to DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Unplugged and learn how to really build an interface. Man, you can spin up these droplets like a boss. You can deploy applications with one click. And it's really nice. Full DNS management snapshots, templates, transfer them to somebody else once you're done with the project. I love it. Remember, DO Unplugged, you can try it out two months for free. They have great tutorials, and also, they're often hiring Linux positions and content editors. Check out their hiring page, too. And I bet you if you told them you heard about them from us, it might get moved to the head of the line. I'm just saying it might work. DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code DO Unplugged. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. So, uh, you know what I love is when mailing lists, when developer mailing lists turn into news, Oh, man, only in the open source community. And it creates so much drama. And then we start to question ourselves and like, oh, we shouldn't behave like this. Commercial companies are never be- no, commercial companies behave like this, too. It's just they don't have a public mailing list. So what the hell is going on? In the mailing list on the, uh, over on uh, uh, the Ubuntu developers mailing list, there was a post that suggested dropping the Ubuntu Software Center and adopting GNOME software. Now, GNOME software is, is, is not bad. I've... I, I actually kind of do like it in some regards, but it, it got me thinking. Le- yes, or yesterday, yesterday's show, last week's show, episode 103, uh, we talked to Wimpy about a lot of feedback he got around the software center. And Wimpy, just as a little follow up to that, did you make a final decision or had your was your deci- decision final at the time of the recording? I can't recall. Uh, yeah, it was final then and it stands. So I'm going to provide. You're standing firm. The Ubuntu Software Center and AppGrid as options in Ubuntu Mate Welcome. So what do you think about this idea of uh, maybe like in the, this, let's just for, for fun, just say Ubuntu shipped with instead of the Ubuntu Software Center. For giggles, let's say it ships with GNOME Software Center and maybe a, a few, uh, you know, canonical fixes have been applied. Wimpy, do you, would that be something you'd be willing to look at and maybe consider including in, in Ubuntu Mate? I'm prepared to consider all viable options. Do you think it's a good idea? Or, um. I think it's a lot of work adapting GNOME software to replace Ubuntu Software Center because there's yeah. a superset of functionality in Ubuntu mm-hmm. Software Center. So given the time required, I think that's a a big ask. And fundamentally, the way GNOME software works is is different to the Ubuntu Software Center. So with GNOME software, each application has to ship its own app data XML file, yeah. which is the information that gets presented in GNOME software. 
whereas Ubuntu um, Software Center and AppGrid use confusingly something else that's called app data, but they're um, they're packages that you install and they're effectively um, databases of um, metadata for the packages that are in the official archive and the partner repository. And that's where all of the, you know, the descriptions and artwork and stuff comes from. So they're fundamentally different and you don't have reviews in um, GNOME software, for example. Right. So I'm I'm prepared to keep an open mind on this and I will uh, happily, you know, move to other solutions that present themselves that are a viable alternative. Hmm. And I've even said to Popey, I'm prepared to, to help with the development effort on whatever the viable alternative might be. Really? Um, I don't know how much time I'm going to have to devote to that, but I'm prepared to pitch in and help with that, yeah. So I liked, uh, so uh, SB5637 uh, in our last subreddit had a pretty pretty um, well-voted-up response to this. He says, I personally think it's a bad idea. I've extensively tested and tried to like GNOME software on Fedora and OpenSUSE, but it was pitifully awful in my opinion. You can't browse apps while another app is installing. And some apps just simply don't appear in search results, even if they're available in category listings. Search results in general are pretty bad. And I don't like how it refuses to show apps that don't have AppStream data. At the very least, it could fall back to package name and a short description like Synaptic shows if AppStream data isn't available. Instead, they're just ignoring the software altogether. Uh, and the, the other thing I've noticed is sometimes it fails to load certain screens. For me, there are oddities to it. Um, <clears throat> the other thing, too, is it seems like it would be a little bit waste of time. Um, I don't know. I mean, Popey, you feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like energies and times would be focused on building QT and QML apps, not adding code to GTK apps that are contributed by other projects. Popey, is that? Uh... I think one of the problems is that none of the um, App Store apps are perfect. You know, Software Center's got its issues. Um, there's mm-hmm. lack in functionality in, if we're just talking about App Stores on Ubuntu, AppGrid has issues in that it's proprietary and there are missing features uh gnome software obviously is very tailored for gnome and might not fit unity quite so well so i mean they they all have issues but they're all solvable it's simply a matter of programming and it's where you want to devote your attention and i I, my personal feeling is if we rallied a bunch of people around ubuntu software center we could probably fix up some of the issues remove some of the the things that are maybe um less desirable or less applicable these days or you know convince the app grid guy to add features and freely license his code i don't know but i i don't i'm not entirely convinced that gnome adopting gnome software when we're like 80 percent of the way there with the other tools is the right way to do it yeah i'm surprised there hasn't been more of a community rallying around just couldn't there be community patches applied to ubuntu software center and just maybe of course it's free software it's free software like anything else. So, yeah, it's just that, mm. that you know, part, part of the problem is that it's a, it's a canonical project and we haven't devoted enough attention to it over the last few years. And so people think it's dead and nobody's maintaining it. And that's a right. perfectly reasonable perception to make when you look at the code that there haven't been any releases for ages and nobody's done any features and it's, it's idle for a long time. So, uh, that doesn't motivate community people to actively work on something when the uh, when the maintainer and owner of that project isn't maintaining it themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's mm-hmm. that's the same for any that's open fair. source software project. Fair. So, so I think if there was a reboot of the Ubuntu Software Center, not a rewrite, but you know, find out what the features are that 
are shouldn't be there and the features that are missing and the performance issues and and it would need really it would need to be updating for python 3 because we're looking to remove python 2 and it's a python 2 app so it would need to be updated to python 3 um so there's a bunch of things that need to happen to it but it's whether people are willing to to contribute those things and i'm sure we could find someone in canonical to help and mentor those people and people in the community like uh martin was suggesting um to to help update it but you know we need people to to help out you know it's all very well throwing broken bottles at us and telling mm-hmm. us it's crap but you know but someone really, somewhere's got to throw really patches crap. attached to those broken bottles i'm just kidding yeah. it's okay thanks chris <laughs> <laughs> just kidding uh all right well good and uh the uh, thread is linked in the show notes if you guys want to read it it's fascinating just, I'm, I'm glad there's discussion around it i think it's a conversation worth happening or worth having so i'm glad it is happening um, so I want to play a clip that I, I literally uh, found in the archive. Noah's like, hey, well, I think you might need to check over here. And I dug through it. And it is a fascinating clip by, by a, uh, a couple of guys who work at an ISP called Global Vision, Linux-powered ISP, Linux on the infrastructure, Linux on the back end. And they claim they're able to deliver wireless Internet more reliable in some cases even than fiber. That's what they say. They describe it. In the interview, and one of the other things they do is they rock the wireless at trade shows so much so that we were able to get live Wi-Fi coverage using streaming video over Wi-Fi, walking around the floor itself. And they do all of this using Linux laptops and Linux tools. And it's not so much about that angle in this clip that I'm about to play, but this is an incredibly fascinating insight into how to manage a good wireless network. And these two gentlemen break it down in such an easy to understand way that I walked away from this interview feeling like I have an entirely new understanding of Wi-Fi. And I think so often on our Linux laptops, we blame drivers or the Wi-Fi chipset, which it often is the problem. But sometimes, honestly, it's the fact that we're, we have messed up Wi-Fi networks, which are extremely tricky. So this clip is very valuable, even if you have a small Wi-Fi network or a huge enterprise Wi-Fi network. And uh, I wanted to play it. It was from the archive of Self 2015. Welcome. Southeast Linux Facts 2015, walking around, came across uh, one of the booths we were at uh, last year. And now, if you're watching the live stream or had been watching the live stream, you've probably heard us talk about Global Vision. These are the guys that brought the internet to self and did an amazing job. I'm here with Zach, and I actually didn't catch your name. Ethan. Ethan. Good to meet you, Ethan. Thanks for taking the time to be here with us. So I wanted to talk, uh, first of all, if you could tell me a little bit about Global Vision itself and what it is you guys do. Um, so Global Vision is a, particularly it's a wireless ISP based out of Greenville, South Carolina. Um, we have wireless networks in both Pickens, uh, Pickens County and Greenville County and Spartanburg County. And we provide um, both uh, residential and business internet along with um, phone service. And um, we do it over um, uh, VOIP, uh, voice over IP. And um, we also manage um, the public wireless network for the city of Pickens. All right. Now, when you say wireless ISP, if somebody's not familiar with that, most people have, you know, a cable modem in their house, and then they plug it into the router, and that's how they're getting their internet. Now, you were telling me last year that um, there's actually, there are some places in your neck of the woods where getting a cable modem, that's just not going to happen. So you're actually giving internet or providing internet to people that ordinarily may not be able to get internet. Yeah, that is correct. Um, our product specializes in the rural areas or in new neighborhoods. When they build new neighborhoods, charter could take two years to come into the neighborhood. Um, 
where we can roll in there from day one, even when there's just one house, it's still profitable for us to roll in. Um, and essentially what we do is we put an antenna about this big on the outside of your house, pointed up at our tower, which is on Paris Mountain. And then we just run an Ethernet cable into your house and uh, power the radio via POE, power of Ethernet, and that will provide Internet to the house. Um, the, uh, when you talk about the, the these radios, what frequency are they running at? Um, we run um, exclusively at 5 gigahertz for the residential stuff. Now, on the business side, we also get into some different ones like uh, 24 gigahertz, and we also use um, 11 gigahertz licensed links. Now, at that frequency, uh, how picky are the radios about being exactly, uh, the antennas are be about being line of sight to each other? Um, so um, the 5 gigahertz, um, it, it is a requirement that they have clear line of sight to get the range that we're talking. Um, our nearest um, our nearest client to the towers is um, just over a mile. So when we talk wireless links, is we, we laugh at people that say, ooh, I can do so many feet. I can do so many miles. Um, and so in 5 gigahertz, it needs clear line of sight. So a tree doesn't count as clear line of sight. Wow, that that so that, so so um, there's obviously some challenges then if you work in a place that's that's densely populated with with trees or has fences. Um, how is it that you're going to get around if somebody has a property that there is no part of their house that has a clear line of sight to your tower? Um, so what we've done with some customers is we'll get up on the roof um, and we can barely see the mountain uh, through through some trees, and we'll tell the customer, "All right, that tree, that tree, that tree, and that tree is in the way." And we actually had one client, while we were still standing on the roof, went to a shed, pulled out a chainsaw, and cut down five trees before we left so that we could install his antenna and he have internet for his kids. Welcome to South Carolina. <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit what, about what it's like to be providing uh, Wi-Fi for self. Typically, conference Wi-Fi is horrendous. Most attendees kind of have come to expect that. And you guys have done a phenomenal job. My Wi-Fi has dropped out maybe twice the entire time I've been here. And other than that, I actually, it's been so reliable, I actually have our production laptop running on Wi-Fi, even though you've given us a hard drop, it is that good. So tell me how it is you've been able to achieve that. Um, so part of it is is we use um, dual frequency. Um, there's 2.4 and 5 gigahertz we're broadcasting over the entire conference area. And the problem with 2.4 is all these dang hotspots. Um, so people will um, fire up these hotspots. It will create 2.4 gigahertz interference. And the signal strength and the ping times and latency um, will go down the toilet. So with a 5 gigahertz network, is really reliable. And there's a lot more channels. So we can do a better channel payment with the 5 gigahertz. So to get to, to help encourage people to use 5 gigahertz, we renamed um, the 2.4 network to Dash Slow to encourage people to connect to the 5 gigahertz because at this day and age the vast majority of devices are 5 gigahertz capable we match that with uh with uh, g- decent channel planning um we mapped out all the ap's on one of the maps that the uh event provided us and we did some good channel planning we also had to turn on the uh, minimum rssi yep. setting which allows you to uh, roam a little better uh, before we had turned that on i was all the way in the other ballroom and I was still connected to this AP with one bar. It, it wouldn't jump onto the next one. So once we turn that on, um, you, you move more easily from one access point to the next, and you just get a better signal overall. 
Now, is the minimum RSSI, is that something that everyone should be looking at doing if they're planning to put access points in, uh, you know, to an infrastructure, you know, across the, uh, across the, across the building? Um, so minimum RSSI is a necessi- necessary in a multi-AP environment because if without it, you cannot roam effectively. Um, essentially what it does is it lo- the AP itself looks at the difference between the signal and the noise mm-hmm. and basically the quality of the link. And if it drops below, in our case, 20 dB separation, the AP will simply kick, kick the client off and in attempts and um, an attempt to force the client to reconnect to another access point. And in most environments, you, you will only see about a one to two ping packet drop during that kick process. Now tell me this, if, if that happens, if there's not another, if there isn't a stronger access point available, like let's say I'm at the fringe of the, the network, am I just going to continually get dropped? Yes. Okay. And, so, and for, for the benefit of the entire network, that is the best thing to happen because the signal can all, the, the system can be only as good as its weakest link. Okay. All right. Uh, when you guys go to uh, when you guys go to set these access points up, how important is uh, placement inside of the rooms? Um, extremely important. You want to try to stay away from um, um, RF bad. Um, materials such as brick. You don't want to put one of these access points right up against a brick wall because um, all of the access points that we use now are omnidirectional. So they're not. The radio is not compensating that the fact that it's up against a brick wall. So it can create. Um, it could actually um, damage the AP if it's running too high because too much of the um, RF interference will come back into the AP, bouncing off the wall. That's incredible. Um, yeah, anything you guys want to add about what Global Vision is doing or, or, or how, what it is that you guys have done to make uh, self possible or future endeavors that you guys might get into? Um, so one of the things that we're starting to get into is uh, more high-end dedicated links. Um, we're, we're start, um, we have the capability now of delivering um, gigabit internet to our business over wireless um, where you could spend you know $20,000 um, in build-out costs for AT&T Fiber or another fiber provider and then on top of that pay two or $3,000 a month for that gig service. We can go in at a much cheaper price point and deliver it wirelessly and we don't have backhoe fade. Um, backhoe fade in the fiber industry is when a backhoe cuts the fiber and that your fiber circuit, woo, it's super reliable until the backhoe gets it. And then you could be two or three days without service where because our product is wireless, we don't have that problem. One of the things we've been focusing on lately, um, uh, Zach came up with a solution a couple months ago uh, for our VoIP service and we were constantly answering phone calls about complaints about the hostess service that we were using before. Um, But what it seems like we've been doing a lot of is coming in and just doing an end-to-end install from phone to radio, including the cabling, the switches, the routes, everything, all the way back to us that we can then manage from our own desks without even having to go to anyone's Mm -hmm. actual office building. And and that's really caused us to, uh, uh, some, some of the stress is gone. Um, as well as some of the things are just way, way easier to manage. We get a, a lot less complaints. We've had a company recently um, where we did a, inside and out. Everything was Global Vision, and I have not heard a call of complaint yet from them. Um, completely different from 
coming in with you know VoIP phones and plugging into the, their $19 Netgear yeah. router and having SIP AOG issues and things like that. And then they just blame Global Vision because they were able to check their emails on it before. And how come they can't get VoIP service now? When we come in and say, okay, let's put this router in here, and if it works, mm-hmm. you can buy it from us. Yeah, they always buy it from us. Yeah, yeah. I, I've done. I've actually done the same thing. I've I've gone into a place and I say, listen, I will. I'm so confident in the equipment I sell that I'll put it in first. If you don't like it call me in a week and I'll come pick it back up and no questions asked but if you do like it we'll yeah. send you an invoice and the reality is once they get it and once they use it and they, they see that it out. yeah yeah they that's right coming out. yeah yeah once they get once they get accustomed to it and it and it works well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us thank you so much for your commitment uh, to the Linux community to bring all of this stuff here so we all have good Wi-Fi and uh, and uh, if I see you walking around with your with your yagi sweeping hunting for people <laughs> I might have to come follow you around absolutely thanks guys. <laughs> Those guys are great. Uh, so now one of the things that Wimby reminded me about in the chat room is that he's actually talking to us over a four-mile wireless link right now. So you have some insights into this particular topic, don't you, Wimpy? Yeah, I've, I've been using wireless broadband for six years, something like that. So um, for a few years, I used 3G as uh, a means to get internet access. Oh, and now... I use a local ISP who uh, is an ex-Motorola um, radio engineer, and he specializes in uh, wireless broadband services in uh, rural areas in the UK. Well, your uh, sound is pretty good. Uh, how, how, has it, how has it been as a service? Um, it's been 100% reliable since it was installed about three years ago. So the service is um, 12 meg download, uh, 4 meg upload. And uh, when I do the podcast with Popey and the others and we've been checking network response times, mine are the, in the same ballpark as, yeah. as everyone else's who's using. Yeah, you're looking you know, pretty good here. I'm looking stuff. at your mumble stats right now. Um, less than a 1%. Pa- I mean, it's really looking good. Like, not bad at all. We've yeah. had 10 late yeah. packets out of like 198,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've got no complaints. It's certainly um, far better than the 512K ADSL service um, that I um, I can get from the major BT provider in this country. Well, now, Global Vision is just a local ISP, as far as I know, uh, in the uh, Charlotte area. But I got to say, you know, we go to a lot of these events and we go to pro events and we go to community events. And self is a community event, and it has some of the best Wi-Fi uh, out of all of them. Now, they're very judicious. They go around with sensors like Noah was giving them a hard time at the end there, and they kick rogue uh, APs off and things like that. But, uh, you know, I got to give it to them. Like, it's really nice to be able to go there and have good Wi-Fi. When you go to a technical uh, when you go to a technical event and the Wi-Fi sucks, it's like, I don't know, it's like a real weird disconnect from between, like, the, the interest of the community and all of a sudden they're in, like, offline mode. It's almost like camping but really hot and sweaty. Uh, so it was. I, I I thought some of those tips would be really good, and maybe if you've had some wireless issues, maybe it's not Linux's fault. Maybe it's the wireless in your house. Just yeah. something. To and I think with. I think what is in common there is um, I'm with an independent ISP. You've just mm-hmm. in- interviewed an independent ISP. Mm. I think there's a lot of value in having a small local company who know what they're doing over being. Um, you know, one of millions of customers with right. a national provider, and you really don't you know matter to them and that is kind um, of the nice thing about wireless right is they they can uh some it actually gives somebody like an independent market a place to move into like it's 
you know, the wired infrastructure is owned, right? You can't really be yeah. an independent ISP on, on the wired infrastructure, but in the wireless spectrum, there's still space for the third party, small independent person or, or company. Yeah. And and the organization I'm with, they even do mesh networks in the community as well. So each of the houses mesh together and um, you can have community nesh- mesh networks with them as well, which is kind of neat. Well, you know, like the other thing that was nice about these guys is being a local ISP is, uh, you know, they're Linux enthusiasts. So they go to events like this and bring in the Internet for the event and they run Linux back at the office. And you know, it's just really neat. It's it's a pretty cool thing to still see yeah. out there. Because like, when I was back when back when I was in high school... The dial-up ISPs were were local, you know, and like they had they ran yeah. Quake servers back at their office and stuff like that. It was it was a community, and so it's neat to still see that out there a little bit. It makes me a little nostalgic. All right, well, I, I want to talk about uh, the uh, the gaming stats uh, that have come out recently, and I'm maybe part of me like I like to uh, I don't I don't like to pretend like the sky is falling, but geez, sometimes I think we just maybe just need to have a dose of reality. So we're going to talk about some of the things I've been reading and maybe what it means. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe we'll get through it all and I'll be okay. But first, I want to tell you about something that makes me feel great, something that makes me feel like I'm moving forward, striving. That's Linux Academy. You can get a great discount if you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplug. Get our 33% discount. Now, Linux Academy is a, it's an institution. It is a learning institution created by Linux and open source enthusiasts, people who are really passionate about this stuff, which also has the great benefit. It means they really follow the good stuff closely. Linux Academy has step-by-step video courses for you to go and learn about all kinds of topics. More than 1,600 videos, almost 1,700 videos. You get different experience levels on all kinds of topics around Linux and open source. Seven-plus Linux distributions that you get to choose from. You always get to keep track of your progress. They have all of the great technology stacks like Vagra and OpenStack and Docker and Nginx and Apache and PHP and Perl and Mys. All of it. Well, really, all of it. It's, 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 it's kind of... It's kind of awe-inspiring when you go there. And it's, it's not I, – I will not say, though, it is over, it's not overwhelming because it's, there's a few things that help you understand it. First of all, it's all broken down and how long each section is going to take, and there's guides you can download and read offline or listen to while you take a shower. Uh, the other thing that's really cool is the scenario-based labs help me actually apply what I'm learning to a real scenario, as the name would su- suggest. And these labs spin up virtual servers for you so you get to actually work with the technology. And those virtual servers match the courseware. There's seven plus Linux distributions that you get to choose from, and then the courseware is set by the distribution, and the virtual servers are set by that. And of course, if you get stuck, there's instructor help. That's no bigs. Now, if you're looking at getting some of the Red Hat certified courses, which I have done many of interviews when I was a contractor for my clients and also for hiring for the company that did the contracting, and I'm, I'm a bit of a diva when it comes to um, a lot of certifications. I think a lot of them are hot air. I actually have mad respect, though, for some of these Red Hat certifications. I mean, you know, there's a lot of other ones I have respect for, too, but the Red Hat ones, really. I mean, I know, you know, the thing is, is, like, you have to go actually do that work in the Red Hat course. Like, you have to go actually apply what you've learned and try it. Like, it's not just answering the questions. You've got to go do it. And there's no Google, and there's no, they don't give you an internet connection. You have to do it all offline. I mean, that's, that's tough. That's, I, I have mad respect for that, and they have the best courseware on the Red Hat stuff. And they update it all the time. They really pay attention to that. Also, if you just have a little bit of time, you can set your availability and they'll generate courseware around that. Or you can go check out some of their nuggets. These are just like deep dives into one topic, 6 to 10 to 20 to 60 minutes long. Like this one's manipulating logs with said. That's a new one. I like that a lot. I, you know, I like getting your announcements too. If you have a great new uh, success from Linux Academy, like you got, a, you got a new cert or you passed a course or you 
got a great mark on your review, let me know. Tweet me at Chris LAS. I like to cover those too. Those are really cool. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and see what I've been talking about. 33% discounts. Great. And you can try it out. It includes the cost of a virtual machine when you spin that up with the courseware. It's really cool. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Now, I'm not trying to be Chicken Little. I'm not trying to run, run around with my head cut off. But these latest numbers are no good. we got to talk about gaming on Linux just really quick. Uh, a couple of different pl- places. Veronix has their post up. I have that linked in the show notes. BoilingSteam.com has their post up. Shadow of Mordor, the latest big, big game to come to Linux. We covered it in the news segment on the Linux Action Show. It's such a big game. I don't normally do that anymore. Uh, and so uh, Boiling Point... Steam had an i7 rig with an Intel GTX 680, 8 gigabytes of RAM on Ubuntu 15.04 and Windows 10 Pro, both 64-bit. And the results are in, and they're real bad, you guys. So on Windows, he was able to get 81 frames per second on Macs. On Ubuntu, 50 frames per second. Average frames was 55 frames per second on Windows, 30 frames per second on Ubuntu. They tried it on another rig, one with the GTX 980 and an i7, 4 gigahertz. Again, Ubuntu 15.04, 64-bit this time, and Windows 8. Windows 8.1, actually. <laughs> oh, no. Max frames per second, 152 frames per second on Windows, 114 on Ubuntu. 107 was the average on Windows. It was really 108. And on Ubuntu, it was 73. Man, that's pretty bad. Now, here's the other thing that sucks. This is just like, boy, that's that hurts when a brand new game comes out and it just plays horrible on Linux. You just, you know, you hate to see that. Something else that really kind of you hate to see, and I guess it's just unavoidable. It's the nature of the beast. It's a game. It's the number one gaming platform. It's not too surprising. There's already more Windows 10 Steam gamers than all Linux distros combined on Steam. Kind of depend on how you break it down, but... Uh, 44% of Steam users are running Windows 7 64-bit. 31% are using Windows 8.1 64-bit. Windows 10 64-bit now clocks in at 2.21%. And the 32-bit variant is a 0.09%. Uh, Yosemite, if you take all the different versions of Yosemite and put them together, Mac OS Yosemite is 1.10%. But if you combine them all together, it like, gets up to 2.4% for the Mac. All Linux OSs combined that that that, uh, that Steam actually tracks, zero point five five percent. So, Windows Ten technically was released on Wednesday, but people had it for a little while, and it's it's already surpassed by a pretty fair margin. The Linux number of Steam users, which doesn't matter at all. Well, I think it's kind of depressing because I think no, the, it's the not line is always the, those numbers are skewed immediately. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, for yeah. example, the Mordor, oh, the one game performs better. Okay. It's not just one game, though. In fact, in fact, the, the really depressing thing is, and uh, Phronics, I have the, this Phronics article linked in the show notes, in a lot of cases, native, native Linux games are only performing slightly better than games that are wrapped in the Eon wrapper. They're only slightly outperforming Wine games. On average, most Linux games, with, with a few exceptions, are performing worse than the Linux counterparts across the board. What about the Valve statistics that show? Yeah, that that, uh, that is the Valve. That is that is the outlier, actually. Right, but like Counter or Counter Strike Global Offensive was like thirty percent better on Linux. 
I think it. I think it's probably not a matter of. I mean, maybe there is some issue with Linux, but I think it's also just a matter of how well, how hard they're working on it. I and I don't see. I think the main line that we always get is, "Well, wait till SteamOS comes along, and then SteamOS will will solve this." But all these games are not console games. I mean, they're not going to be great console experiences, and this is, SteamOS isn't going to fix this particular problem. I mean, maybe Linux just isn't just isn't a good gaming platform. Is that is that impossible to admit? Yes, because. It hasn't got to the point where it's even been tested yet. I There's mean, only been what three or four AAA games, and a few, and like one of them was uh, uh, Bar- the Batman Arkham game that came out that was atrocious in every platform. So they screwed up massively on on every platform. So that's not a that's not a metric. Shadow of Mordor. It, do we know if it was native or if it's wrapped? Do we even know? No, it's native. Okay, well that's good, but. You know, that's one game that messed up. So there's other games that were wrapped that perform really good, like the um, the Witcher 3. So does it really matter? Like, we can't use any of these metrics yet because it's it's making a decision to say that this is not good enough and we're not, we're not there yet when we're barely even on the starting line. North Ranger, you think it really does come down to gaming profiles that make uh, drivers optimize for certain games? Yeah, definitely. We had the news. What was it? Uh, last couple of weeks that uh, the changing the name, yeah. uh, changing the name of the binary um, to fake out, uh, you know, fake out the driver thinking your Half Life Two automatically gives you an extra thirty percent frame rate. Yeah, I do recall that too. That's a good point. Yeah, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle here because I just wanted to kind of open this up for discussion. Uh, WW, you have a clarification on uh, Arkham Knight? Go ahead. Yeah, Arkham Knight is because of the PC release, which was Windows only. The and they're literally fixing it. So by maybe the end of this month, maybe the start of September, we might get an update to that. There's still that just because of that alone. That's delayed the Linux port until next year. So you can't even count that among the games that are on Linux yet. Hmm. So I mean, it's not even worth to mention it just because it, we can't even test it yet. I guess I I wonder if if. I just feel like perhaps the issue is that an operating system like Linux just doesn't necessarily make itself a very good platform for games because games kind of require the opposite of what an always ever evolving operating system fundamentally provide. And that's why Valve is creating SteamOS. I don't but and and I mean and I think Valve recognizes this issue and that's why they want to create SteamOS, which is a safe landing place where game developers can have certain expectations that'll always be met. But no, how that's does because that can... marketing for Linux is terrible, and then when but you is wanna... it that or is yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all these factors combined are, are issues. Yes, it, it, I'm not saying that one is better than the other as far as the sense of why they're doing it. I'm just saying that there's multiple factors that they're making these decisions on, and that there's more likely that the reason why we don't have a good gaming in- infrastructure right now is because it, it's only been a few years. It's been like what two years at the most that would've been even reasonable, whereas you know, for for a while, Steam was ignored on Windows too, and it took them like they've been around for ten years, and it took them well, no, they're spent out twelve years. It took them like six or seven years to get any relevancy on Windows. Yeah, yeah, I I actually, you know, when I the practical, so here's the here's the practical side of this, and uh, uh, Rikai, by the way, agrees that game profiles make a huge difference. Um, but here's 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 what I see. 
the games I play, and I don't really give a big crap. The games I play play oh, fine enough for me. Like the frame rate is good enough. Like I don't notice the frame rate being slow. And I got so many games in Steam now that I can't play seventy percent of them. And I recently, uh, like last weekend, there was like a super badass sale for Linux, a Steam OS sale. I hope some of you guys got in on that stuff because it was sweet. And I picked up like this new this new Mordor game, The Shadow of Mordor. It does, runs fine for me. I just picked up. I got. I got. I got, I got like three new games that were like crazy cheap, and I'm, I'm set now. And like we are now at the point with Linux gaming that if if you are just not super picky, there is a ton of selection. And I don't think it's. I don't really think it's a huge gap to go from where we're at now to really being a competitive system. But I don't. I am skeptical that desktop Linux will ever be the right candidate. I think. I think people might maybe one day go from dual booting desktop Linux and maybe even SteamOS or something. I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly. Because uh, it just seems like all these games keep coming out and they're, they're just developers are just unwilling. It's not even like Linux is not even that Linux is incapable of it. It's that these developers are unwilling to put the effort into it because of preconceptions or, what, or, or because of technical limitations that they don't know a workaround to or whatever. I mean, they could have a legitimate reason for all I know. But but they don't seem to be willing to put the effort into it. And if if SteamOS promises to solve some of these problems, even if it's just through marketing and branding and, and, and Valve brand loyalty, maybe we'll start to see the performance on SteamOS inch up and inch up and inch up. And you know, I'm sure we'll trickle I'm sure that'll trickle down to other Linux distributions. I'm sure there'll be wikis updated on how to take advantage of those things. So well, couldn't you argue that that was true even Long, like years ago before SteamOS existed and that developers never cared in the first place and now that SteamOS exists they are starting to care and it it's been proven by to... all these games actually yeah, coming to Steam I mean, I Linux and right. SteamOS. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yes, the existence of the games it proves they care to some degree. I'm just, I'm, I'm major disappointed that uh, that the games consistently are not performing as good as they could. And I don't. Right. I'm just saying that they're they're the changing of the developer's opinion is is, is actually happening. That's my point. I mean, re- the, regardless be, of yeah. whether it's working or not, as far as the, like how good the performance is and stuff, I don't know because I, uh, I don't game that much. But don't like, you think they, that's the is, problem? Don't you think that's the problem? Is like they are like testing it out, like they're putting their toe in the water. Yay! At the same time, they're doing such a crappy job that the the, that the Linux market share is really just not responding. Uh, you know, it's not increasing. It's not like. They're just not doing a good enough job to really move the needle, and that could send the wrong signal. They're not doing a good enough job, but that's only because they're not doing enough. They're not doing as many games. There's like, I mean, as far as like AAA games, how many are there on Linux? Five, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's like three that I think are really great. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's recently a new SteamOS exclusive, which is quite adorable. Yeah, I'm just talking about AAA and the AAA on. Like not whether they're good or not, just the fact that they have like marketing behind like oh, EA or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they uh, they were available on other platforms first in those cases as well. Yeah, and like Borderlands is awesome, and it's one of the triple A's that's on, that's available on Linux, and it runs great. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy so, Borderlands a lot. <laughs> you know, yeah. there there is there is there are some examples where it is working and it's fantastic because I never even heard of that. I mean, I've heard of the game, but I never bothered playing it. And when it came on Linux, it's like. Awesome. I'm playing it. Well, actually, all it all most of my experiences, like I say, like I I say this with sort of a disclaimer that for me the problem is really not that bad. Like I don't actually I consider myself to be kind of picky, and I don't normally nor I don't really nor notice any problems until I go read these blogs or these reviews, and I'm like, oh well, I, I guess that's an issue. I don't I don't 
I don't particularly have that issue, I, I guess. I mean, I, I suppose, you know, and so then I'm like, well, I guess I guess it could be a little bit better. But for me, I'm not too picky. Usually I just kind of I'm, I'm, I'm more casual these days. So it's not as big of a deal for me. I, th- I think it's the issue of these blogs are taking the um, the example of happy days and jumping the shark. Oh, wow, dude. <laughs> All right. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, I want to speak about jumping the shark. Linux Action Show is about to jump the shark in a really big way. Oh, my God. I hope you guys don't freak out. I'm going to tell you about what we have coming up. But first, I want to tell you about our friends at Ting. Go to linux.ting.com. Linux.ting.com. Ting is on a mission to make mobile make sense. Why? Well, actually, because you're going to love the way Ting rates work. Ting makes it simple. Ting keeps rates simple. We don't make you pick a plan. Instead, you just use your phone as you normally would. How much you use determines how much you pay each month. You can have as many devices as you want on one account. That's good, because when you use more, you pay less per minute, message, or megabyte of data. Your usage, plus $6 per active device on your account, plus taxes, is your monthly bill. Simple. That's what we mean when we say... Mobile. That makes sense. Now, if you go to linux.ting.com, you get a $25 discount off your first Ting device... Or $25 off your uh, service if you have a Ting-compatible device. They have GSM and CDMA, too. So you probably you probably have a compatible device, and this is a great way to try out Ting. They also have SIM cards available for just $9. So if you want GSM or CDMA in, like, a device, like a security device, like my buddy Chase does, that's a great way to go. If you want, like, a like Noah's got a bat phone. He picked up, a, like, a super tiny bat phone off of uh, eBay. That he gives the number to me. Hello, isn't that neat? I got it. And his wife. Isn't that adorable? He, I think he probably gives it to a couple other people too. But I know I'm on that list and I don't even know the number anymore. I just have it written down somewhere. And it's, it's great because he just pays for what he uses. We have all kinds of devices. Um, a couple, if you want some great budget devices, because Ting has also an early termination relief program. So you can really start stacking up the savings when you go to linux.ting.com and you take advantage of their ETF if you're in a duopoly contract. And, and and then you can go grab something like the Motorola E2nd Gen. It's just a real nice baseline Android phone. No contract, no early termination fee, and it's unlocked. And you can go get a you can go get an unlocked GSM phone from Ting right now. They have the Blue Studio, which is a nice phone for two hundred nine dollars. The One Plus, you know about that. They got the iPhones. They got all the Galaxy devices. They have some really good MiFi devices as well. I really like that one with the OLED OLED screen. Motorola G, though, and the Motorola G is really nice, and so is the Moto X2. All of those are over on Ting. If you go to linux.ting.com, they'll take $25 off. You can get an ETF. They'll help you get out of that contract if you're in one, and then you're, no, you're all done. you got an unlocked phone. You're no more contracts. Ting is really nice. And if you got a few devices, you should really check out the Ting savings calculator. It's kind of nuts. You put your current usage in there, and you'll be pretty surprised. Also, nice thing about Ting, no hold customer service. You can call them at one eight five five ting ftw and a real human being answers the phone. Go to linux.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged L program. Yeah, yeah you see that? I'm multilingual now. Mm-hmm, not offensive at all. <clears throat> Speaking of offensive, man, am I fired up. I am so effing angry right now. Uh, it's, it, it, it really burns me uh, more than you might actually think, and I'll tell you why. So, uh, you might have noticed this week that the Linux Action Show was pulled down from YouTube. Uh, episode 306, Windows 10 versus Linux. Boy, what a great title for YouTube, too. And not many people had had it by the time we'd posted it. I did a little search before the, sh- before the show went out. So, boy, that was going to be a good episode for YouTube. Windows 10 versus Linux. And it got pulled down by Condé Nast because we played a video from Wired. In the news segment of the show. 
Now, the Linux Action Show is going in on its 10th year now. It does. It has done news every single week, well, that we've been on the air, for 10 years. And in this particular episode, we were covering a Linux-powered rifle, and we were covering the fact that, A, Wired was covering it, B, the fact that Wired was doing video, and C, the production of that video. So not only were we covering the news item itself, but we were actually also covering the video as part of our coverage. That, my friends, I consider to be fair use under the U.S. copyright law. But the way YouTube systems work, even though it's content creators that make YouTube possible, that allow them to sell ads, that made YouTube actually exist, even though it was stupid cats playing keyboards and people getting kicked in crotches, it was the content creators that made YouTube possible. And now it's the content creators that are guilty first. And then we get to try to plead for innocence. I filed a dispute Sunday evening. It is now Tuesday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon as I record this. We have lost all potential to gain any revenue off this show. Of course, YouTube revenue sucks anyway, so it would have been $10 at best. But now, if we're three days into it, after release, we won't make any revenue. Even though, in my, in my opinion, it was absolutely legal for us to play that video. And the really burning thing about this is, and this is the thing you don't even know, is for this particular episode of the Linux Action Show, a real shit ton of effort went into making the video presentation possible. In fact, I had to mow down three of my Linux laptops that ran Linux and had to install Windows 10 on those things, trying to get them to hook up to our video presentation system so I could actually demonstrate visually the things I was talking about in the video version of the Linux Action Show. I destroyed three of my Linux laptops to get them hooked up between Windows 10, the drivers, and our capture rig, so I could display Windows 10 in the video. And then a couple of hours after that video goes up on YouTube, Google has it pulled down because, well, Condé Nast thinks they should. Even though the show's been around for almost 10 years, we've been publishing on YouTube for a very long time. We have thousands of videos up there. They they don't care. They pull us down. After all that work, I spent two days just to get the video setup working. I spent more time just to do the visual presentation than I actually had to spend on the content of the show itself. Thankfully, Windows 10 kind of writes its own review. But still, the point remains. I spent more time to get the visual aspect working than I did on the actual content just to get my video pulled down. Now, thankfully, I don't rely on YouTube as a primary distribution platform, and I never will because of crap like this. But man, is it a kick in the nuts when we're already dealing with some other problems. One you may have noticed, if you were somehow able to say, oh, I don't know, download the video from our website or watch it in HTML5 from our website. But you might have noticed how crappy Noah's video looks. In fact, uh, it seems like uh, Okiwan Linux fan did. He says, I love the show, but Noah's camera is really distracting. I know it's a Linux solution, but the quality of the show, which used to look so good, now looks unprofessional. Sorry, I have to say it, but it's a fact. I tried to get a friend who is new to Linux to watch the show, and that was his first comment. When I see videos like this on YouTube, I immediately switch to another video. The Linux action show is well produced. Why drag the production quality back 10 years? I think the free software crusade has drifted a little too far into the Stallman dimension. Hmm. And, uh... I'd like to hear what other viewers have to think. One last thing. Why does Crystal look good? It looks so good. If you're not going full Linux solution in production, why go halfway at the expense of the show? Just bring it up because I care. Well, obviously, I have to look good so that way my hair looks good. I mean, (laughs) hello. (laughs) That's obvious. And so, you know, this is something that Noah and I have struggled with a lot. Uh, We want the Linux action show to be produced and edited and created and all that stuff as much as possible under Linux as we can. Uh, But to do high-resolution video production sometimes requires sort of 
using proprietary solutions, which we have been fighting with since Noah became a co-host. And so you see the different versions of that in the video. Like sometimes his video looks a little weird. Sometimes it looks like he's from 1980 and it needs anti-aliasing applied. And uh, sometimes it's fine. It's been all over the board and sometimes he's in studio. But uh, as, uh, as, as Obi-Wan Linux fan here, or Oki-Wan, Oki-Wan, whatever, Oki-Wan, whatever. Let's just call him Obi-Wan Linux fan. That's nice. As he points out, it does look unprofessional. And that really does burn me. That <laughs> really gets me upset because we work really hard on the show. And um, that's got us thinking. You know, the show is actually coming up on its 10th year on, in, in June, in next June, June 10th. So we're coming up on it. And uh, 10 years is a long time for any person to do any one thing. And uh, I don't really tend to stick with anything, actually. It's kind of funny. Somehow I've managed to stick with these shows. But for the most part, i got to be honest, I can't, st- I, can't, I can't even stand to drive the same route to work every day. I, I, I sometimes stay at the studio to avoid it. Sometimes I drive a different route. I, monotony drives me insane. So somehow I've managed to do the Linux Action Show for almost 10 years now. I don't, I don't know how that's happened. Uh, and all these shows, really. And so it's, it's been – recently we've been discussing how to get the show more genuine to the fact that we cover open source and Linux. And every time we go down this route, we always run up against the wall of video production. It's always the main issue is video production. It's always been the problem. It's why we use Wirecast now. It's why we edit under Final Cut. It's just never up to snuff. So that's really been something we've discussed a lot since before Noah was even a co-host. And uh, so we've decided this Friday to try something a little different. Now, you saw the beginnings of this last week, perhaps. You might have noticed that we did a remastered version of um, episode 103 of Linux Unplugged. Multi-track recording, each person, each presenter, and the mumble room gets their own track. And then our editor, Ham Radio, goes through and cleans up the individual spots. Then he turns it over and passes it on to our other editor, Rekai. It's, it's, it's double the work, really. Uh, and it's a process we don't really have worked out yet. But the sound is much better. It's much more presentable. sounds much more professional. And honestly, it's much more doable under Linux using open source technology. Or hardware, even. And we have a limited budget as well. And the kind of money... You know, like, say you have $6,000 in a year to spend on hardware. Well, the, the kind of distance you get out of audio hardware is, is just unbelievably more than you get out of video. I mean, one camera can cost $6,000. So we've, been, we've, we've kicked this back and forth a little bit. And what we, want to, what we want to try this Friday, live, is an audio version of the Linux Action Show. Now, that doesn't mean the video is going away. It's going to be more like Linux Unplugged for one episode, maybe two. We're going to try it for a little while and see what, what we do. And what that means is we're going to build it quality first. We're going to try to get it to sound as good as possible. We're going to try to focus. On, when I put together a segment, I'm going to focus on the information, not on the visual presentation of it. And we're going to try to put it all together and then release it on the regular Sunday release date with a basically a version of what, how Linux Unplugged is done now with the screen showing some visuals, but the primary focus will be on the content. Now, we're not going to switch the whole show to this. We're trying this out as a concept because it's something that excites us. And after you've been doing something for 10 years, it's nice to get pretty excited about it again, to try to have a new idea to make it really, really good. And we even have an idea, and it's something we'll be willing to share uh, as we go along, but we even have an idea to make uh, remote recording, local recording of guests, very straightforward. The idea being eventually, and we won't be able to nail it in the first or even second attempt, but the the, uh, the attempt is 
to really have the best sounding show possible. Really something that sounds unbelievably amazing. Local in studio is possible as much as, and, as we can. And, and really because we have so much we can apply to that. And uh, it, it is going to only be an experiment, a temporary experiment. Uh, we're going to try recording on a Friday to give us extra time for extra editing production. Normally we record on a Sunday and we have it out a few hours, a few hours later. That's an amazing turnaround time. I mean, not to brag, but really for like an hour and a half uh, HD video podcast that also releases in several formats, including audio, to get that out in a few hours is pretty good turnaround. Most podcasts don't even get that with audio only. So what we're going to do is record on a Friday, A, to give us a little time to sort of experiment with things, and B, to give our editors time to put it all together and still release a video version so those of you who consume last in video. We'll still have something to watch, and hopefully it'll sound better, and you'll see while we're, we'll hear, you'll hear while we, why we are trying this. And we'll take these lessons we learned from this and see how we can incorpor- incorporate them into the main show or what direction we want to go. It's, it's a big change, and if it's something we go with permanently, it's something we'll be very upfront about. But it's something we're at least going to experiment with for a little while. And I'm a, little, I'm a little unsure of how people react to it, because I know for some people the video component is a big aspect of the show. It's something that, you know, you, we can really, we, and, we, and it is nice to be able to showcase some of this stuff, you know. When there's a new version of KD or GNOME or Windows 10, it's nice to be able to actually visually capture it. And I'm not saying that's going to go away completely. I still want to have some elements of that. But what we would probably do instead is what we would try to do is have individual video releases when necessary. So if something is inherently video-centric, an interview on location at Red Hat, uh, a demonstration of an open source application or a desktop environment or Windows 10 or something great that happens down at LinuxCon on, on August 17th. We can still individually publish those as YouTube videos or as download videos like we did with OSCON. If you go back and look at our OSCON 2015 coverage, we individually published every single video interview we did. So that way the audio audience, which is the majority of the last audience, that's somewhere between 60% and 70%. It depends on the episode. My best guess is a lot of you just kind of move around. But the majority are audio. And we realize, well, if the majority are audio and we're talking about the Prism laptop or we're talking about Firefox Web VR or talking about Keyboardio, you guys might want to be able to see that. So for the audio listeners, in the show notes of OSCON 2015, we individually uploaded and published the interviews. And this is an area I think we want to explore a lot more, is if we have an audio version of LAS, we could individually publish the video elements still for viewing. And on top of that, there's an element of this that I haven't told you about yet. And I'm not going to tell you about it a lot yet because it's still in development, but there is a plan somewhere in the September timeframe where I'm going to go on the road and try to do some of these shows while traveling. And I, I, the, if we can nail this down during this time period, this will make it much more possible for me able to do this from the road. And so there's a, there is a bit of an ulterior motive as we're sort of experimenting with some ideas that we might need to apply later on down the road. And uh, that's something else that we're going to be experimenting with. Is, so that's why we might do one or two episodes of it, because there could be an element of that that we need to cover. So, yeah. Uh, all right, yeah, and then like uh, <laughs> like Conseco points out in the chat room, this is a good time to try out a new Ardor release. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it's it's a big change, especially, you know, since we've been doing video, we've been more and more video-focused really since episode around, what, I don't know, 100, 120-ish, we started transitioning to video. And then, you know, 100 episodes after that, it was pretty serious. And uh, 
I think a lot of people, I think there's a, I think we have a good balance in our audience of cord cutters and people uh, that watch video primarily and a lot of people who commute. I mean, the download numbers suggest a lot of more people download on, over audio uh, on, a, on a podcast catcher. But the video is still a pretty significant portion. And, you know, we have Roku apps and TiVo apps and all and XBMC apps. So we want to still continue to deliver video as well. And uh, I'm just going to try to experiment with uh, striking a balance there and seeing what works. Because I want, I want, if nothing else, I want you to be able to listen to Linux Action Show and go like, damn, you can make a show that sounds that good under Linux. You know, I mean, things like that. Like that's some of the, and I don't want you to watch and go, oh man, why does that video look like that? I just, it's, it's distracting from the content. And it's not that uh, I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm against using uh, proprietary software and proprietary hardware in the production of a show that talks about open source software. It's just it chews at me every single week. And so for a little while, I want to try doing it. Um, and we won't make a complete transition because this is going to be a temporary thing. But it's kind of it's putting a test balloon up and seeing how it goes. And we'll still continue to uh, do video production and continue to test all of that. Now, does anybody have any thoughts or comments before we uh, wrap up today? Because I know I just kind of dropped a big bomb there, but... Anybody have any immediate reactions? Go ahead. The room's open. No? No? Are you sure? There's all the software you want is free and available on the Linux platform. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm I'm a commuter, so um, I've never watched the video version. You're kidding me. So... You've never watched the video version? Never. Yeah, I am slightly I am slightly terrified by the fact that if we make this transition. And we discover that like it's not a huge deal that all of these all of these years focused on video have been wasted. I'm a little worried about that because we, there was a time when it was a really big controversy that we launched video for people who've been around for a long time. That really blew up on our face when we said we're switching to video. People really were upset, and so now I'm kind of saying we're going to refocus on audio. I just uh, so this week's episode, our plan for Linux Unplugged is to, and of course I probably should have said this earlier, but our plan is to delay the MP3 and AUG versions of the show. We'll release the video versions on, as fast as we normally can, and we're going to release the AUG and MP3 versions as the multi-track remastered sounds really good because we figure those people are the people in the car, most likely, and those are the people that need the remastered version the most. So if you're subscribed to the Linux Unplugged MP3 feed or AUG feed this week, it might be a little delayed. But the result is you'll get the higher, 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 better produced version, I guess is a better way to put it. The better produced version of the Unplugged program, which hopefully is better for headphone users and commuters. And um, we also have version, we have a, we have a version of it, of episode 103, that you can go find in the subreddit if you didn't get a chance to listen to that. And I'd like to hear your feedback. We'll always have, we have feedback threads over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. You kind of now know what's coming up. Not everybody who watches last and listens to last listens to this show by, by a long shot. And so those of you who do kind of have a little bit of the inside scoop of what's coming up. And I just want you to know, I just to recap, the core reasons behind it is we really want to make something that is fun for us to make and gets us excited to produce. First of all, I want to be excited to make it. And creating something new is, is honestly gets me excited in a way I haven't been excited in a long time. And, and just, you know, experimenting like this. And it's a podcast. Like, if, if you don't get to do this with a podcast, when can't you? You know, it's not a radio show. It's not a television show. Like, th- if you're ever going to do something crazy, this is a place to do it. So that's, you know, keep that in mind. And second thing is, is honestly, what we really want to do is create something that's really, truly genuine to producing content under Linux. And we have ideas 
to make it so if we really did this, we could have – it would require some internet connection, some ISDN connections or some hardware, something over IP. But really, you know, you flip a few hardware buttons and we could really do this entire thing under Linux eventually if we got there. And that really excites me. And that's something else we're going towards. And then last but not least, I really think we can – we can experiment in a new way with the medium. We can do something we haven't been able to really do is create stories around open source and around projects that are truly fascinating and genuinely interesting to listen to. And that's something else I've wanted to do for a long time. And it's something we might experiment with. I mean, we might not. I mean, the feedback might be so hostile and so negative that we chicken out. But currently, that's where our momentum is at. And I hope you understand it. And I wanted to share it with you guys. I know it's a little cray, but you stick in there. You can join us live on Friday. We'll have it up on the Jupiter Broadcasting calendar, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, and see how it goes. Uh, JBLive.tv. All right. Wow. Man, I feel good. I feel like that was a little bit of a counseling session for me. Like I had a big secret that I needed to share with you guys, and now I've gotten it off my chest. That's nice. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Now, also, I'd like to get your content, ideas, topics, suggestions, feedback, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. I say this every week. I kind of feel like a jerk, but really, we get no love for for Linux Unplugged subreddit just gets no love go over there and love on this show won't you jeez you know wes he didn't show up this week because no love i'm sorry wes if you're listening i'm sorry buddy they love you they just didn't say anything it's sad it's sad no really it's fine linux action show to reddit.com go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact to send us feedback jblive.tv to watch us live we do it live tuesdays at specific you can get it pacific time you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar you get it in your time all right everybody thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of linux unplugged see you right back here next week I love it. I, I don't know, Wimpy, you're like a master podcaster now. You are good at the tease. So as we're signing off, Wimpy says, uh, the next USC mailing list discussion could be show content. Wimpy, what do you know? What do you know? Ask Popey. Popey left a while ago. Is he left? Come on, come on. Just give me a little tease. Give me a little I don't tease. know anything. I don't know anything. Just keep an eye on the Ubuntu Devil mailing list. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. I see. I see how it is. Very good. Or, or, or just, or just subscribe to Softpedia because I'm sure they'll pick up. Right. No it. kidding. Right. Hey oh. <laughs> So, all right. JBTitles.com chat room. Go pick our title now. Uh, while we're now the show's over, am I crazy, you guys? What do you think of uh, the test we're going to do for last? I don't think I'll... we have to see to absorb the content. I mean, if you're going to do something like you said with Linux Unplugged, where it's video enhanced, I mean that's perfectly i mean it's better than most of the other podcasts i listen to okay software center was isn't bad but creepy uncle yeah i mean i suppose that's true um yeah and you know some people think the green screen looks old too and i, I agree we didn't want to really use the green screen very long in fact when for a little while we thought about just trying to use the studio shot uh but uh yeah i don't know i don't know uh software center was jbtitles.com i think the one was Go ahead, WW. I think it's better that you experiment and find something that works overall well for you, <clears throat> well for the audience, and just doesn't put that stress on you because people can tell, I'm sure. Yeah, I hate being stressed out. Like, that's the other thing is I hate 
what happens so often is I have to troubleshoot something video production related for the first 10 or 15 minutes for a show. So 10 or 15 minutes before the show starts, I'm not thinking about the show at all. I'm thinking about this video issue, and it really gets me frustrated. Alex, you wanted to mention something? Yeah, one of the features of video I liked really much is that I got to see the chat logs. Mm. And uh, I would like if uh, they, they would be saved and published in text form if you are going to give up video. We've thought about it. You know, well, we'd probably be showing the chat room more in the video version if we did that. But, you know, I, the, only, the only reason I don't do that is because it, all it really takes is for somebody to just log a chat client into the chat room and set their buffer. And then you have that. And you can just... Yes, but, uh, but uh, if I'm not online at the time... Yeah, that's true. The well, you know, is... yeah. If, I, there's probably a great system that does this. If somebody, anybody out there knows or wants to set us up one, let me know. Uh, all right, so miles of Wi-Fi is not bad either. I kind of like that, WW. JBTitles.com, JBTitles.com. Everybody. Speaking for myself, Chris, like if you're going to get rid of the video feed, like as far as being able to see you and Noah, I think it'd be nice to at least have the video feed of the chat room. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like if we did interviews and stuff in that in that episode, some of them would be audio only, but if they're on location, they might still be video. And like an unplug- like an unplugged, you know, I just played that video clip of Noah. The only thing is, I don't totally want to commit to that because I've at least just in my real initial sort of last run, I've noticed I seem to get better, more genuine conversations with people when I do audio interviews because they don't have a camera in their face. And so I don't want to commit to doing a bunch of video interviews because if I can get a better interview when I use a little portable Zoom recorder, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, the interviews I got at OSCON with our audio, the people are much more relaxed and the conversations are more jovial and joking and funner to listen to because they're not all freaked out by a camera. And I just can't ignore that. And that, that was the other thing that sort of led me down this path was we went to OSCON and the interviews we did on audio, man, we banged those things out so fast and they went so smooth and so natural. And I had such a good range to pick from and I had so much room to clean up mistakes and cut out things that were just, you know, dumb or superfluous. It was it was so, and I was able to get through all like four or five or six or seven clips we played in like an hour. It, it was just like for my availability, it was, I was able to do more and the people sounded better. And it was, and like, I was able to put the zoom recorder in my pocket when I was done. Like it was, it was really nice. I mean, it was, yeah, I know the hair, right. Wimpy the hair. Yeah, that's, that's true. That is. Well, see, the thing is, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> the uh, the thing is, Wimpy, some people like the hair. You know, they like to check in and check in on the hair. But I could just every now and I'll just flash the webcam and prove that, yes, the hair is... I'm not going off camera because the hair is looking bad. The hair is actually looking better than ever. Look at that. And it's, good, it's great looking hair. Uh, I, I think, I think one, day, of the mind. one day Kobe should sit down Wimpy and, have, and film uh, Wimpy watching an entire episode of Last Week. Oh, yeah, he's never watched. With you right. and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be great. I haven't got time for that. I have I have about two and a half hours of commuting a day, so I've got as I'm driving in that time, no. so I've got lots of time for listening to podcasts. That's, you know I'm what? Currently the thing subscribed is, to about eighteen or nineteen Linux and Floss podcasts. I think at the that's moment. super common. I think that's the majority. And you know what? You know, even somebody who makes video content, I over time, I I was watching you know four or five video podcasts a week. I've whittled it all down. It's all audio now, not intentionally. I just reflected on this a couple of days ago. And realize that all of the podcasts I listen to now, which, uh, let's see, how many? Let's see here. Man, there are so many great podcast apps right now. If you guys, 
The Pocket Cast is really good, by the way. If, uh, yeah, uh, I use that. Yeah, Pocket Cast. Pocket Cast is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here's some. So here's a couple I'm listening to right now. Ninety nine percent invisible. Daily Tech News Show. Mission Log. No Agenda. Radio Lab. Serial. This American Life. This Week in Trek. Uh, the Accidental Tech Podcast. Uh, actually, I'm, I just actually recently unsubscribed from that. Common Sense with Dan Carlin. Uh, Everything Sounds. Oh, that's a good show. The History of Rome. All of these shows, Random Trek, all of these shows now are all audio. Like they, uh, all I've just accidentally, just over time, because I, I'm using, these podcasts are like, these are my time. Like when I'm not hanging out with family or friends and I'm driving or I'm working or I'm laying down, like podcasts are for me. They're my time. And so I like them in audio. And uh, I, 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 our downloads... Our downloads kind of seem to bear that out. It's really tough to tell because what I what I've basically gathered by looking at the stats over the years is people might find us on YouTube, then they move to the site and they watch us, and then they decide, well, there's no reason to watch. I could just listen. And then every now and then an interesting episode comes along, or they have the day off, or it's something extra in their routine, or they decide they want to watch on the Roku today instead of listen while they drive. And that time they decide to go video. And so an audio listener maybe once a month goes to video or once every couple of months goes video. And so let's say it's not just a clear break. I can't just say, well, I'll only lose 10% of the audience because that's not really true because the other percent also watches video from time to time. So it's not a clear cut decision to make. And the other thing is, is it's nice to be able to showcase this stuff because, you know, if I show you what GNOME looks like today, well, when you watch the show in five years, it's pretty quaint to look at that. Like, if you go back and look at the old shows of last, and we're showing off, you know, the uh, old versions of Seuss's KDE desktop, it's adorable. It's adorable that it looks like that. And because we had video, we are able to document that, in a sense, and capture it. And it's like a time capsule. So I'm cognizant of the fact that last does provide that aspect to, of Linux coverage and it's kind of unique in that respect. There's not pretty much any other Linux podcast that does that. And so if we stop doing it, nobody's doing it. So I don't intend to stop doing that altogether. But I, 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 I just, uh, you know, to be honest with you, to be completely frank, what happened was we got into video because we could. Because live streaming became possible, webcams and cameras became cheap enough, and it was approachable. And so we did it. And we didn't really ask ourselves, does it make a better show? It just was, well, technology has enabled us to do the next thing. And because we like to follow technology, we do it. And, and we went into it and we didn't really think about how it's actually sort of it sticks you right in the middle of you can't really make a fantastic audio show and you can't really make a fantastic video show. Like you go, you go back to Noah demonstrating a YubiKey or something like that and he has to sit there and he has to dictate out the commands to type and, and, and the video audience just has to sit there and, and, and watch him while he wastes time because we don't know if you're listening to this tutorial or watching this tutorial. And so when you put a tutorial together and you have to consider the audio audience and the video audience, it's a it's basically it's a wash. It's like trying to write for multi-platform. It's like you kind of just get the worst. And so it's not we I feel like have done a very not to pat ourselves on the back, but I feel like we've done a very good job of trying to walk the line of making the show approachable to audio listeners and video listeners. But if I'm being honest with you, I could do a hell of a better job of making an audio show than I'm doing currently. And if I know I'm shooting a video segment that I'm going to release independently and embed in the show notes, I can do a hell of a lot of a better of a job making a video specific thing, too. And, and, and that's just the reality is right now we kind of walk the middle line and because we do a fairly good job of it, I think personally, 
people don't really give us a hard time, but I think if you really know content and you really know how it works, you can see it. And what about doing both video and audio, but doing less not on camera video, but doing the just like like the tutorial stuff would be separated and embedded in yeah. the show notes, yep. but then yep. it'd be like other stuff where the chat room and then like video websites displaying and stuff and playing another person's video or something like that would still be in, involved in the main thing. Yeah, I think that's probably what's, what we'll, we'll kind of get to. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's yeah, kind of essentially. Weird. I'm thinking LUP plus more. Yeah. Yeah, with more, uh, and I think, well, you know, the YouTube channel will have more individual releases, which actually could be very good for people looking for content because shorter content does better on YouTube. So, you know, if we had a 10-minute video explaining how to set up YubiKey, people are way more likely to watch that. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, We did a digital photo workflow uh, on Linux like a month ago, and a, a, a big part of that segment was how to back up your photos on Linux to Spider Oak. And then two weeks later, we got a question in the subreddit. Can anybody recommend how I back up my digital photos? Now, the problem is, if you're looking to solve that, if one particular issue, how do I back up my photos on Linux? You're not very inclined to watch a two-hour video on digital Linux photo, to, uh, photo workflow. You know, and so that's what we run into is people don't even know that we've answered their question because they're not willing to watch an hour, 32-hour video. So if we could take those individual pieces and still include them in the show, but also release them as separate videos, we might find that the need for a show like How to Linux pretty much goes away, and that solves that specific need and issue of people trying to solve these problems under Linux. It burns me that even in our own community, people are constantly asking about apps that we have, we have recommended and suggested, how-tos we have done and solved and shown, and it's just – it's not their fault. It's because discovery in a podcast – is basically non-existent and you just if you don't listen to the whole thing every single week you don't you don't get all the information and so what my idea is we we really we really focus in on content we focus on making a great audio show that sounds amazing that's great to listen to that you are proud to have somebody who's checking out linux listen to and when it calls for it and not every episode but when it calls for it there is separate releases a video that either showcase something or walk something through. And then we would also just play those as clips in the show as a video in the show itself. So you don't have to go out and watch them separately if you don't want to, but they're available if you're just out there searching for them. We are considering transcribing the audio too, where we've been doing that for women's tech radio. And that's something we're considering doing for Linux action show as well. Transcribing is good for SEO too, but the, the part where it may not have video and it may have video wouldn't that pretty much guarantee that people are, unless you specifically say in the show that there is a video component in this particular episode, no one's going to know about it. No one's going to click it. Yeah. And that's, that's no big deal. I don't think it's no big deal. I think that's going to pull, pull a lot of people out of it. Cause if someone, if there are people who just watch video and because they want to see, you know, the, the demos and stuff like that, but then there's, there, there may or may not be there. Then, they might not even care. Well, I, so it's two different audiences. So here's how, here's how that works from a practical standpoint. In the show, we cover it, and we say, if you'd like to see the visual version, it's embedded in the show notes. And that's all you have to say in the show. That solves that problem. Now, for people that are just watching the video version, that just want the small episodes, the snippets. Now, when we post the video separate, it starts with a splash that says, this is a segment from the Linux Action Show, like a two-second long splash, boom, goes into the segment. Then it wraps with a wrap screen that says, you can listen and find the entire episode over at bit.ly slash last 357 or whatever. 
And then, you know, they have more information if they want to watch the entire episode. But the reality is somebody who wants to watch a four-minute how-to is not at all the same person who wants to listen to an hour, hour and a half, two-hour podcast. Certainly. I actually found um, last for looking for a how-to, and uh, it just happened to be in the video, the, the title of the episode. Yeah, so right now we basically we, we rely on titling. That's, that's, yeah. that's the truth. If it wasn't in the title, I probably wouldn't have ever sound it. Yeah, that's why that's why we are that's why we go through the trouble of like being anal about the titles. You either have to know it in the title or know exactly what to search for in the show notes sometimes because I've run into that a few times. Yeah, and so by breaking these things out, we kind of want to try to solve that problem a bit. And then we're hoping that when people see those, they're like, Oh, there is a podcast behind this. And then you listen to it and you're like, Oh, this is like the this is the real show. And and the idea is is it, you kind of do give away a little bit of the farm, but truth is we put the content out th- we put the content out there for free anyways, so it's not really like it's that big of a deal. And people can already time code link on YouTube, and people do like when we you know whenever we do get posted to Reddit, which very rarely happens because people don't want to watch a two hour video on Reddit either. Um, when we do, people usually link to the time code, which I'm actually totally fine with. I have no problem with that. I think it's a nice feature. Uh, anyways, so. Uh, yeah, many people do think the show notes are the video description. That's true. Um, all right, so there you go. And so tune in Friday. Let us know what you think, you guys. And hopefully all goes well. And it turns out to be, you know, it's not going to be perfect on our first attempt, but hopefully you'll at least get the essence of what we're trying to accomplish. 